Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm too lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. Let's just declare His holiness. When we declare the holiness of God, we're declaring that He is perfect. We're declaring that He has no flaw, that He has no failure, that He's perfect in all of His ways, that His judgments are true, His judgments are right, His statutes are true. Hallelujah. Come on, can we thank Him right now that He is holy? Come on, when you say that He is holy, you enter into an eternal worship service. A worship service that has been going on since the beginning of time and it will continue in time is no more holy are you lord god almighty yes you are holy are you lord in all your ways hallelujah come on with hands raised right now as we declare his holiness and he begins to produce through his holy spirit holiness in us Holiness in us is not the same as it is in God. It doesn't mean that we're perfect. Holiness in us means that we're striving, that we're becoming more like Him, that we're being made mature as the Spirit of God begins to deal with us about areas in our lives that that need to be adjusted and need to be turned around, amen, that need to be reshaped. You can't do that. You can't get holy on your own. You can't get holy without the Holy Spirit, without the Holy Ghost, without the holiness of God. In the book of Isaiah, Isaiah had a vision. He was ushered into the throne room of God and there he heard as the angels sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. In the book of Revelation, John the Revelator is entered into the presence of God and there the angels sang, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Can I tell you, this is a song that never ceases to be sung. And when you engage in that, you enter into something that has eternal value. So with our hands raised right now, we're not declaring our holiness. We're declaring His holiness. Come on. I hide myself in the righteousness of God. I put on the cloak of His righteousness and thereby I am made holy. Holy are you, Lord. Holy are you, Lord. Every voice on this Easter Sunday morning, let's sing this eternal worship chorus. this room if you know that he's holy if you know that he's righteous hallelujah has anybody learned that the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous run into it 
Come on, I don't find righteousness in myself. I find righteousness when I run into the name of Jesus. I wonder, is anybody in the building chosen to hide yourself in Jesus? Hallelujah. Amen, amen. If you would turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Mark chapter 16. What a rich, powerful presence of the Lord is in this place. That is not because the rhythm, the notes, the chords have been played or sung in perfection, though they have. It's not it. It's because of consecration. It's because of the prayers, because people that have devoted themselves to the work of God. It's for those of you today. The Bible says where two or three gather together in his name, he's there in the midst of them. Amen. We're here today in the name of Jesus, and I feel the presence of the Lord in this place. And when, when the Lord is in the place, anything is possible. Amen. Have you have some impossible situations that you're facing? Well, you're in the right place because there's no such thing as impossible when you're in the presence of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I believe today as the word of God goes forth, miracles are going to happen in this building. I believe on the anniversary of the resurrection of a risen Savior, when he got up out of that grave, the Bible tells us that it wasn't just Jesus that got up out of the grave and he showed himself alive after many infallible proofs, but the Bible says that they saw others that were in the grave. They saw prophets walking around. When Jesus gets out of the grave, others get out of the grave with him. He didn't come just to be victorious on his own. He came to give you victory. Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 16, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, had bought sweet spices that they might come to anoint him. And very early the morning, the first day of the week, they came to the sepulcher at the rising of the sun. And they said among themselves, who shall roll us away the stone from the door of the sepulcher? And when they looked, they saw that the stone was rolled away, for it was very great. And entering into the sepulcher, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment and they were affrightened and he saith unto them be not affrightened you seek Jesus of Nazareth which was crucified he is risen he is not here behold the place where they laid him but go your way tell his disciples and Peter that he goeth before you into Galilee there shall you see him as he said unto you and they went out quickly and fled from the sepulcher for they were trembled and were Amazed, Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first. Everybody say, he appeared first. He appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Amen. He appeared first unto Mary. Amen. The Lord bless you. You could be seated this morning. Again, we welcome everyone. Thank you. What a great crowd is here this morning, and I know that there are even some seated in overflow seating, but we thank you for joining today. One more time, Living Hope, would you help me in letting all of our guests know how honored we are to have them here today. Amen. Thank you. I think they're worthy of a standing ovation. All of our guests, amen. We, we honor you. Amen. We honor you. We exist for you. We're here to serve you. Amen. I know several others that we haven't seen for a while. So good to see you today, Rachel, John, 
Amen. The girls were glad to see the Tackett family back visiting with us. Brother John left and became a preacher. He was hiding some skills while he was here. We're going to have to, next time he's down, we're going to have to put him on the schedule. He probably, he ain't coming back if I tell him that. Amen. But we're so glad to have everyone in the house. Brother David, good to see you today. Brother Scriber, good to see you. God bless you, all of our guests. Amen. Recently, there was a viral video of a University of Michigan freshman runner on the female 4x400 relay race team. That 4x400 means that each one of the athletes runs one time around the track and they give it to the next person and that person runs one time around the track. And this freshman by the name of Zaya Holman, video is viral because when Zaya took the baton as the anchor leg or the last runner of that relay race team running against elite colleges, in a very strong competition, when she took the baton from the runner before her, she was in dead last. She had no chance to win the race. Usually, you get the baton in last place. Your goal is just to try to catch the person in front of you at best. But Zaya wasn't content with just catching the runner in front of her. And as the video unfolds, Zaya first passes the runner in front of her. And then she passes the next runner. And then she passes the next runner, and right before the finish line, Zaya passes all of the other competitors and finishes that race in first place. What an epic comeback, starting in last place, starting in, if you would, the place of failure, yet finishing in a place of triumph. And this epic comeback story, this video that went viral because we admire the courage, we admire the inspiration, we admire the stamina, the strength, and the speed of someone that can start in last place and finish in first place. This inspiring principle of going from last to first and from failure to triumph and victory is not true only in athletic competition, but we also find it revealed in other pursuits in human life. Time and history are not void of those that first traveled the path of failure before they found their way to success. People like Thomas Edison, who was told by his elementary school teacher that he was too dumb to learn anything. It was a different day back then. I, I wouldn't even today say that you should say that, but they just told it like it was back then. Edison would fail 10,000 times, 10,000 failures trying to invent one singular invention, but finally... Edison created the light bulb and is now today known as the father of invention. But before he ever finished in first, he knew what it was like to travel in failure. Amen. Walt Disney, who was fired from the Kansas City Star newspaper, and the editor that fired him listed as the reason for firing Walt Disney is because he lacked imagination. And had no good ideas. Albert Einstein as a child was believed to be mentally handicapped. Albert Einstein did not even begin speaking legible words until he was four years of age. He could not read until he was seven. However, this same Albert Einstein who was thought to be struggling with handicap. He is the one that would eventually identify the equation for spatial relativity. I don't even know what it means. I can just read it to you. E equals mc squared. Again, don't know what it means, but I think it's big. 
He won the Nobel Prize and is today referred to as the father of modern physics. I came to preach to you today the story of the resurrection of a Savior that on Friday was crucified, but on Sunday he got up out of that grave. Amen. On Friday they put stripes on his back, but on Sunday he rose again. On Friday they placed a crown of thorns in his brow, but on Monday he got up as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And each of these lauded and applauded leaders in their lanes of life, whether it be Einstein or Edison or Walt Disney or the athlete from the University of Michigan, each of them in their particular lane of life, they experienced failure before they finished first. They dealt with setbacks, they understood defeat, and they experienced discouragement. These are just a few examples from a long list of those that we could bring today that failed first before they finished first. Today on this beautiful Easter Sunday morning, I want to preach from this principle and on this topic today from failure to first. The good news of Jesus from his birth, his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, the totality of which today we simply refer to as the gospel. We are blessed throughout this abundance of stories. We are blessed with many firsts. You see, when the angels showed up to the shepherds in the field of Bethlehem, it was the first declaration of good news to humanity that a Savior had been born. When the angel appeared to Joseph and told him that Mary is going to bring forth a son, and she said, call his name Jesus, it was the first time that humanity and mankind had been given a name that would bring salvation. Colossians 1 and 15 tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God and the firstborn of all creation. Three verses later, the writer in Colossians tells us not only is he the firstborn of all creation, but he is also the firstborn from the dead. If I could simply state Colossians 1 and 18 this way, what the writer is saying is that the grave is usually the exterminator, but in the case of Jesus, it became the incubator. In the book of Revelation, this same Jesus stands with hands stretched in victory and says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the first and the last. It was on this day of crucifixion that the veil in the temple would be torn and for the first time humanity would have access to the presence of God. Jesus is the first and the only one that can stand and say, I am victorious over death, over hell, and over the grave. I could go on and on and tell you of all of the first that are made possible through the gospel of Jesus Christ. I want to preach from the first. There, there are three firsts that we find in the story of the resurrection. There are three firsts that we're going to look at today. Three principles that are going to give you the power to change your life today and empower you to walk in power and in victory. How many of you would like to walk in victory? 
If your neighbor's not raising their hand, ask your neighbor, what is wrong with you? I'm going to ask you again, how many of you would like to walk in victory? Thank you. That's much better. Half of you, I was like, what's wrong with these people? The commonality of these three first that I'm going to preach this morning as found in the scripture and within the context of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is that each of these first was preceded by a failure. Before they came in first, in some way, they had finished last. Each of these three persons and circumstances that we will examine this morning from the story of the resurrection were dealing with great failure before they experienced great victory. I want to begin with the text that we read from Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 9. If you would If you have your Bibles, you can turn to that passage. We're going to look specifically, I want to turn your attention to the final verse where the Bible tells us that resurrected Jesus appeared unto Mary Magdalene first. He appeared first unto Mary Magdalene. He first appeared unto Mary. Following the explanation that his first appearance was to Mary Magdalene, it tells us and explains that she was the woman that Jesus had cast seven devils out of. There are several other explanations. As I began to read this portion of the resurrection and I began to read of this woman that Jesus appeared first unto, before he appeared unto his own mother, before he appeared unto the 12 or 11 remaining disciples, before he appeared unto the crowd that he had given the fishes and loaves, before he appeared unto anyone else, he first appeared unto Mary. There are several other explanations that could have been given to identify why Jesus chose Mary Magdalene to appear first unto. John chapter 19 tells us that Mary Magdalene had made it to the final four. She had been one of the final four remaining at the foot of the cross when Jesus gave up the ghost. You see, Mary Magdalene stood when others scattered. She remained when others retreated. Uh, amen. That, 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 that to me would make more sense. That, that, that the explanation that is given as to why Jesus appeared unto Mary Magdalene first that it would be followed because she remained at the foot of the cross, because she worshiped when others wandered, because she waited while others wondered, because she stood while others scattered. That would make sense to me why Jesus would appear first unto Mary. There are also many that believe that Mary Magdalene is the woman in Luke chapter 7 who broke the alabaster box And would take, and with her hair, she would wash the feet of Jesus. She would anoint the feet of Jesus. And that would make more sense to me as to the reason that Jesus first appeared unto Mary Magdalene. Because she got lost in passionate praise. And she began to wash the feet of Jesus. She wasn't worried about the cost of the alabaster box. All she could think about was the opportunity and the value of worshiping the King of Kings. 
And that would make sense to me if it would say that Jesus first appeared unto Mary because she had washed his feet with the precious ointment from an alabaster box. And I thought to myself, if nothing else, if not identifying her by her loyal companionship, by her faithful following or her passionate praise, why say anything at all? Why not just leave it? That Jesus appeared unto Mary first. Why do we have to go on and tell the thing that I know she wishes she could just forget? It does not draw attention to her worship. It does not draw our focus to her loyalty. But no, it draws our attention to her darkest hour, to her lowest moment, and to the most painful part of her past. Amen. It's the old Mary that she's been trying to forget. It's the demons that she's been working to distance herself from uh, the woman that Jesus had cast not one devil out of don't look at your children right now I'm not talking to them not two devils out of don't look at your husband right now I see some of you trying to make practical application but seven devils out of Bart Ehrman a New Testament scholar and historian of early Christianity contends that the number seven that is used there is simply a symbolic number. He says that in Jewish tradition, seven is a number of completion. And so the statement that is made there that Jesus appeared unto Mary Magdalene first, who Jesus had cast seven devils out of, was simply a statement that Mary was completely overwhelmed by the devil. She wasn't just wrestling with demons. She was overwhelmed by the devil. Her life was in disarray. Her life was in shambles. Her world was a wreck. And that is who the resurrected Jesus appeared unto first. And that's who Jesus wants to show up to in this building today unto. He wants to show up in the world of somebody who you feel like your life is a wreck. You think Jesus only shows up for the preacher or for the singer with the microphone. Let me tell you who Jesus wants to appear first unto. He wants to show up first to the woman whose world is being devastated by the devil. You ought to get that devil off your shoulder right now and give God praise. He doesn't love me because of how good I am. He doesn't love me because of how I worshiped and broke the box. I need some folks that remember where Jesus brought you from. I need some people that remember what it was like before Jesus called your name, before Jesus laid his hand on your life and drove the death. I need some people that have a past to give God some praise in this room. I don't praise him because I'm perfect. I praise him because of where he brought me from.
And that is who Jesus wants to appear to today first. It's for those of you that came in here wrestling with your demons. It's for those of you that knows what it's like to be overwhelmed by the devil. You came today feeling overwhelmed and undone, but I've got good news. Jesus came to appear unto you first. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You didn't show up because of my alabaster box. You didn't show up because I waited while others wondered. You showed up in my failure. You came today trying to outrun a past. Wondering if you even have a future. But Jesus appeared unto Mary first. And I came to preach a resurrected Jesus unto some Mary Magdalene in this house today. And the devil's told you that your past has disqualified you. But I came to preach a resurrected Jesus unto that one in the building today. That the devil lied to you. The devil lied to you. I said the devil lied to you. And the devil said you would never escape his grasp. You would never elude his grip. You would never shake free of his clutches. But Jesus appeared unto Mary first. I don't know what that does to you, but that gets my feet to dancing. That puts a shout in my voice. Thank you, Jesus, that you showed up to Mary first. I was in last, but he showed up to me first. I don't care how much your past has been dominated by the devil. It doesn't matter how many demons you had to fight just to get here today. The resurrected Jesus is in this building, and he's here today to appear unto you first. One more time across this room. Could we lift our hands? I'm not finished. Some of you got excited. I'm not done yet. But I feel the Holy Ghost is in this building. There's a Mary Magdalene in this house. Every time you get up on your feet, the devil reminds you of your seven devils. Every time you begin to give God prayer, every time you bring your alabaster box, the enemy reminds you of your seven devils. He reminds you of your marriage that the devil destroyed. He reminds you of your children that the enemy is destroying. And the devil tells you there's no way God would show up to you. There's no way God would deal with your failure. Not only will he deal with it, he wants to show up first in your life. Alpha and Omega, Alpha and Omega, beginning and the ending. He is the first and the last. I may have taken the baton in last place, but because I've got Jesus, I'm coming in first. The second illustration example that I would draw our attention to is found in John chapter 20. Beginning in verse number one, the Bible speaks, the first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early while it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher, then she runneth, cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, 
whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher, and we know not where they have laid him. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and they came to the sepulcher. Verse 4, so they both ran together. And the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulcher. The story's not over because that disciple who got there first stooped down and looked in. He saw the evidence of resurrected Savior, but he went not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him and went in to the sepulcher and seeth the linen clothes lie in the napkin that was about his head, not lying with the linen clothes, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple which came first to the sepulcher, and he saw and believed. By all accounts, of the 11 remaining disciples of Jesus, the 12th disciple, of course, being Judas, that had sadly ended his life by hanging himself. But now, of these 11, these 11 men that had spent the past three and one half years walking and talking with the Master, and had witnessed his many magnificent miracles, they were there when he took five loaves of bread and two fish and break them, blessed them, break them, and then multiplied them to feed 5,000. They had been at the wedding when Jesus turned water into wine. They, the, the 11 that had been there and witnessed the miracles of the lame being made to walk, the blind being made to see, deaf ears being unstopped. And of the 11 of them, by all accounts, Simon was the first disciple to step into the tomb. He was the first disciple to step inside and see the grave clothes that had been wrapped around the body of Jesus. The first to step in and see the napkin that had been wrapped about the head of Jesus. Simon was first. But if we read closely, Simon was not the first disciple to reach the sepulcher. Simon was the second. Amen. Simon knew what it was like to come in last place. I don't know if you knew it, but when you're running and there's only two of you, if you come in second, you came in last. I remember one time in, in school, I think it was a golf tournament. I, was, I wasn't good, but they didn't have a lot of golfers, so I got to play. There was three of us playing, and I came in third place, and that's how I told everybody. I said, how'd you do? I came in third place. <laughs> anyway, it doesn't matter that that was last. I came in third place. Simon was second, while the other disciple was first. Verse 4 tells us that the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first. To the sepulcher. Now, I grew up in a family of four children. And in, in a family of four, some of you grew up in bigger families, and so you're going to relate with what I'm going to say. But in a family of four, everything is a competition. If you're an only child, you don't, this isn't going to relate to you. You got everything you wanted, right? If you're the only daughter and you had a brother, right, you got everything you wanted. So this doesn't relate to you. But we were a family of four, and everything was a competition. The last one to finish dinner had to wash the dishes. The last one to say, not it, had to take out the trash. The first one to the new box of cereal got to stick their arm all the, all the way down in the box of cereal and destroy a $4 box of cereal so we could get the 50-cent prize. Even our Easter egg hunts were a competition. The person who found the most eggs got a prize. And just to make it a little more competitive and 
bring on our anxiety a little bit more, they would hide some money in one egg. And whoever found that egg got the money. Competition. Maybe the one that was most prevalent in our home is the first one to touch the car got to sit in the front seat. But you had to touch the car. There was more than one time that I tripped on the last step and face planted in the car. It wasn't enough to get to the car. You had to touch the car. You couldn't just get there. It was the touch that won you the front seat. And the other disciple, the Bible says, got there first. Many believe that the reason that Simon got there second is because he was the oldest disciple, possibly by as much as 10 years of age. Maybe it's true that he just couldn't keep up with the young buck. However, a more likely explanation for why Simon came in second or last is that he ran with a reluctancy in his stride. He ran with uncertainty. He ran under a load of guilt and shame. His stride was slow and his steps were heavy. Why? Because just three days before, three times Simon had denied that he even knew who Jesus was. Just three days before when he was cornered in the courtyard, the crowd had accurately deducted that he was a follower of Jesus. And the Bible says Simon began to curse and swear. You can always tell a good Christian when they try to curse to fit in. They don't do it well. They don't even cuss good, so why try? And we're trying to prove to people we're one of them, and they're like, dude, you can't even cuss right. We know who you are. Three times Simon had denied. His failure had been foretold. Jesus told him, Simon, before the rooster crows three times, you will deny me. And Simon stood courageously and boldly and said, Jesus, I will never deny you. And now, just like Jesus said it would happen three times before the rooster crowed, Simon said, I don't even know that man. Even having been warned, though he courageously declared he would never deny the Lord, under pressure his devotion wavered, his faithfulness withered, and his commitment wilted, and the other disciple got there first. If anybody had a reason to stand outside and just look in, it was Simon. Out of the 11 disciples, it would make sense that Simon would be the last one to want to get into the sepulcher. John chapter 20 verse 5 tells us that the other disciple, the one who got there first, he stops at the entrance. He stoops down and he looks in. But he went not in. And here comes Simon. 45-year-old Simon, probably not that old, but I'm trying to relate. Here comes Simon, the older guy. Here comes Simon, uncertain. I just denied Jesus. I don't, I don't know how this is going to go. I'm still dealing with the guilt. Why, why wasn't I courageous enough to identify with Jesus? And here comes Simon lagging in second place. He had been outrun by the younger disciple. But when the other disciple stopped, Simon kept on going. Amen. I'm preaching to somebody in this building today that you might have been outrun, but you will not be outdone. Amen. I'm going to say today to my adversity, to my adversary, you may slow me, but you will not stop me. You may discourage me, but you will not defeat me. You might be faster than me, but you will not go further than me. 
I need somebody in the room today that you've been through some things that have slowed you down. You've got some guilt and shame. You didn't stand when you should have, and you're dealing with guilt, but you need to let the devil know right now, I will not stop. been troubled on every side but not distressed i've been perplexed but i'm not in despair i've been persecuted but i'm not forsaken i've been cast down but i'm not destroyed come on simon just keep on running you might have come in second but you're gonna finish first come on child of god you might have failed but you can still finish first Somebody give the Lord a hand clap of praise if you made up your mind. I will not stop. I will not stop. I may fail. I may fall. I've made some mistakes, but I will not stop. The race is not given to the swift, to he that endureth unto the end. You may outrun me, but you will not outdo me. And while the first disciple was swift of foot, he came to the point of looking in, but he went not in. And you might be here today just to see what this is all about. You know, I've been hearing about this Easter, this resurrection, this Jesus story. Maybe you came today, maybe you're watching online to see what this Jesus is all about. What's all this commotion? I hear all these Jesus people, these Bible thumpers. Brother Moses, these Jesus freaks, I hear them, you know, man, and I wasn't disappointed. I walk in here today, and they are indeed Jesus freaks. And you got this guy up here jumping around, and people taking laps. What what did I just walk into? What, What you walked into is some people that didn't stop at just looking in. We walked in. Because you'll never understand Jesus from the outside looking in. The resurrection will never make any sense in your life as long as you're standing outside stooping and looking in. The power of the resurrection only works when you run inside, when you run into the name of the Lord, when you run into the strong tower. It's not enough to look in. You've got to step in. Verse 8 says that after Simon had stepped in, then the other disciple also stepped in. And what happened? After the Bible says, then he saw and, well, I, I just want to come to church once in a while and see what's going on. And if I get convinced, then I'll be, no, you got to step in, and then you'll see what we're talking about. Then you'll understand this joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. Then you'll understand that he's a peace that passes all up, but you'll never know that on the outside looking in. You'll never know him as a king of kings on the outside looking in, but when you step on the inside, you'll know there's not a thing he can't do. There's not a way he can't make. David said it like this, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on, oh, taste. I don't plan on going home today and getting that 
that pork out of the smoker and looking at it and saying, mm, I wonder how that tastes. I'm not going to sit there and watch my wife and daughters by the expressions on their face and try to imagine how that tastes. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my knife and my fork and I'm going to dig into that pork and I'm going to put it in my mouth and I'm going to taste and see. And some of you are standing back trying to watch the lives of others around you and see if Jesus really works. It don't work that way. You've got to taste and see that the Lord is good. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. He put my marriage back together. He healed my children. Come on, somebody. I wonder who's going to be the first one in the tomb today. Who's going to be the first one to say, I'm not stopping with looking in. I'm stepping in. Final illustration on this Sunday, Easter Sunday morning in John chapter 20, the same chapter, verse 24. But Thomas, everybody say, but Thomas. How many of you already know who we're getting ready to talk about? What do we call him? But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands and the print of his nails and touch, put my finger into the print of the nails and thrust my hand into his side. Until I touch and I feel, I will not believe. And after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus the doors being shut. And I tell you, Jesus will walk down, walk through walls for people in this building today. Some of you that came today, you're not really convinced of what Jesus can do. I want to tell you what he will do right now. He'll walk through a wall to get to you. He don't need a door to be opened. He'll walk through the wall to reach over and touch you. You've got your walls up. You've got fences up. You've got barriers up. But I know a Jesus that walks through walls. I know a Jesus. Then came Jesus, stood in the midst and said, peace be unto you. How does that happen? A man walks through a wall and says, peace. As we all get our hearts back into our chests. Then, listen, then saith he to Thomas, touch me, touch me. Behold my hands. Reach, reach out and feel where they put the nails. Reach and feel. Reach hither thy hand. Feel right here where they put the spear into my side. Thomas, I know what you're dealing with, and I've got the solution. The solution is I need you to touch me. Thomas' monologue is covered in verse 25, has eternally earned him the woeful legacy that you all stated just a moment ago of doubting Thomas. Forever memorialized in religious circles and theological discussions as a doubter. Simon, who we just talked about, denied Jesus, but he is forever celebrated as Petra, the rock, the preacher on the day of Pentecost. But Thomas... 
33 words of skepticism and disbelief earn him the identity of a doubter. And I came today to preach to the doubter, to the skeptic. You hear all these stories of how God turns lives around, of how he heals the sick and delivers from addictions. Amen. Acts chapter 1 and 3 tells us that Jesus had showed himself alive through many infallible proof. In other words, even today, historians, they do not question the validity of the resurrection of Jesus. There is zero historic evidence that Jesus was not resurrected. Zero. Now, there are skeptics that don't just, want, just don't want to believe it. Just like you can say, well, gravity doesn't work. Well, jump off the roof and you'll believe. There are no evidence that Jesus was not resurrected. Why? Because Jesus showed himself alive through many infallible, many proven proofs and facts. 1 Corinthians 15 and 6 tells us that Jesus had appeared to 500 people at one time. 500 eyewitnesses. Yet Thomas remains a doubter. And just in case you haven't heard today, let me tell you, you are in the house of believers. Just like the other disciples that followed Simon Peter, just like that other disciple that after Simon went in, the other one went in after him. And he said, now I believe you're in the house of those who have stepped in and we have tasted and we have seen that the Lord is good. Living Hope, I need you to help me right now. I need your help for just a minute because we have some people in the building. They might be struggling like Thomas was. They might have heard the stories. But I want them to know this isn't some fairy tale that 2,000 years ago existed. If you're in the building and Jesus Christ healed your marriage, I need you to make some noise. Bridget just walk down here Brett walk down here just kind of parade through there on the verge already been to the lawyers their marriage was over they were done it was all but signing the papers 18 years later they're married all their kids are in the church serving God they love one another we've been inside the tomb and we've seen that Jesus is real and he is alive Bruce step out a little bit. You don't have to. You can keep your base on. You just step out so they can see you. That's Bruce, Donna. How many years ago now has it been? Over 20. Am I right? Marriage was done. Done with each other. If you see them around each other now, they're not done with each other. You can hardly separate them. If you see Bruce, you're going to see Donna. If you see Donna, you're going to see Bruce. The lawyer said it's over. Relatives said it's over. But they stepped inside the tomb and the resurrected Jesus showed up and he put it back together again. I'm telling you, he is a risen Savior. He's a real Jesus. He's a real King. All right, all of you. All of you used to be alcoholics that couldn't make it through a day without a drink, without emptying out a bottle. I want you to testify right now through your worship that Jesus is a deliverer. Come on, if you were, if you used drugs, if you were hung out on 
marijuana, cocaine, whatever kind it was, we're not going to ask you to tell us. But if Jesus delivered you from drug addiction, I want you to give the King of Kings praise in this house right now. If you are bound by nicotine, if you are bound by fear, if you are bound by depression, I want you to give God praise because I've been inside the tomb. We, we have been delivered from alcoholism, drug addiction, fear, hatred, perversion, racism. We've been delivered from all of those things. We, we believe. Perhaps today you, like Thomas, still have some questions. Perhaps like Thomas, you find it still hard to believe. Here's Thomas wrestling with the failure of doubt, surrounded by faith, but he's wrestling with emotions of uncertainty while he's surrounded by those who have seen. And yet I find just seven verses earlier that Mary Magdalene, you remember her? The same Mary that had been delivered of seven devils, the same Mary that broke the box and worshiped while everybody else watched. The same Mary that made it to the final four when everybody else was off distancing themselves from Jesus. Seven verses prior, he looks at Mary and said, don't touch me. Mary, don't touch me. You already believe. You already believe, Mary. I'm not yet glorified. Don't touch me. Touch me not, Mary. But now he looks at a doubting Thomas. He looks at a man that is wrestling with doubt. He wants to believe. He wants to believe others have seen. He watches as they worship and he wonders, what does it feel like to have Jesus touch you? And Jesus looks at a doubting Thomas and he says, Thomas, you're going to be the first one to touch a resurrected Jesus. Thomas, come here and touch my hands. Come here and touch my side. And if you're in this building today and you're just not sure yet, I want you to know you're the first one that Jesus wants to touch. Can we raise our hands all across this building? Oh, I feel his sweet presence entering into this room. I say right now, doubting Thomas, I say right now, Thomas, you might be in this room and you're looking around you at a bunch of people that are testifying that they have tasted and seen, but you haven't been there yet. And you wonder if this really for me, you're the first one Jesus wants to touch. Doesn't matter what your failure has been. It doesn't matter that you've been outrun on your way to the tomb. It doesn't matter if you're here today wrestling with doubt. Jesus is here to touch you. So who will be the first? Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus. I'm going to wait on you, Jesus.